Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Robert Neerum. Dr. Neerum comes to us from Georgia Tech, where he is the Parker H. Petit Distinguished Chair in Engineering and Medicine and Institute Professor Emeritus. Dr. Neerum, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Well, thank you. So, Dr. Neerum, you have seen this field of tissue engineering grow from its infancy and You've made some substantial contributions along the way from you and your colleagues at Georgia Tech. Perhaps you could share with us the change in the field from its onset 20 years ago to what it is now. Well, it's been an interesting 20 years. I mean, if you go back to the 1990s, we might describe that period as the go-go years. A lot of exciting advances taking place in the research laboratory, companies being formed, What was the focus of most of those companies back in the 1990s was these skin substitutes. But at that point, people believed that everything seemed possible. And then when we hit the beginning of this century, the first decade of this century, I refer to those years as the sobering years because for a variety of reasons, things at best at least in terms of commercialization, went into a holding pattern. Several companies went bankrupt, although the scientific advances uh, continued. But it was really unclear what was going to happen in terms of the industry itself. And I think we all realize that ultimately to bring these things to patients requires the commercialization of the product. And so um, basically between 2000 and 2005, it was a pretty sobering period. But since 2005, things have come back, a lot of commercial activity, products on the market. And when I say products on the market, most of the successes have been acellular products. And we can talk about a product like SIS. We can talk about Medtronic's spine infusion approach, which is a BMP type thing. But most of the successes commercially to date have been acellular. Having said that, there's a lot in the pipeline. And of course, we don't know if what's in the pipeline is actually going to get to the market stage, but there's probably 150 different products out there in industry in the pipeline somewhere. Some are back in the R&D stage, but again, in industry. Some are in the preclinical stage, Some are in phase one, some phase two, some phase three, some reaching the market, but still a long ways to go, and we don't know what's in this pipeline that will actually come through. But still, that's a very positive sign that there's so much commercial activity. The other thing that has to be overlaid with all this is the stem cell area. Because if you go back to the early 1990s, when there was a lot of excitement and things began to happen, stem cells were not part of what we were talking about. But with really the advent of stem cells being coming front and center in tissue engineering, regenerative medicine, starting somewhere in the mid-90s and obviously continuing, that is an important thing because one of the critical issues 
for cellular therapies, cellular approaches in tissue engineering regenerative medicine, a critical issue is cell source. Although stem cells, certainly not the only source, it is an important source, and it's important that we continue to do research and ultimately bring some of these things to the market. One projection I saw of the stem cell business suggested that by 2020, the industry activity in stem cells would be somewhere around $20 billion. That may be a stretch, but still a lot of hope there. And I, I really believe that at this point, where we can see where the potential that was once thought about, the promise that was talked about, actually could be realized as we move forward over the next 10, 20, 25 years. Well, thank you for that overview. You mentioned this indirectly, and I know you're one of the advocates of, well, sharing hope, avoiding hype, and uh, I know that some of your colleagues have been very concerned about that as well. Yeah, I think it's understandable that scientists and clinicians can get excited, in some cases overly excited about what they're doing, but we really need to be cautionary because the minute something comes out in the press, there are patients who immediately send emails to whoever they can identify as someone to send an email to wanting to know where can I get this particular therapy. And most of the time the therapy is not out there. It's not going to be there for humans for maybe another 10 years. So I think we in the research community need to be very careful about how we present what's going on. And that's why when I talk about all these products that are now in the pipeline out in industry, we really don't know if those things, how many of those things will actually make it to the market and be able to help patients. So we always need to be cautionary in our comments. So Dr. Neerum, you had mentioned a moment ago that there were on the order of 150 products in the pipeline that are based on tissue engineering or regenerative medicine uh, approaches. My guess is that there's probably some two or three dozen products that are already being used clinically in that regard. Is, is that a good estimate? It's probably a reasonable estimate, somewhere in that range, 20 to 30. And I guess we have to distinguish between how many products and how many clinical applications, because a given product might be applied with more than one clinical application. How true. And my only point was that while this field is still in its infancy from a clinical perspective, it's not at the beginning of the curve. It's somewhere along the curve in terms of its growth. Yeah, and certainly the growth curve looks positive. I mean, you take a company like Advanced Tissue Sciences, which went bankrupt back, I think it was around 2002. Smith and Nephew picked up their skin substitutes, but then divested themselves of that. Ultimately, Advanced Biohealing got these, and last year, Advanced Biohealing had about $150 million in sales of their skin substitutes. Compared to some of the big boys in the medical device industry, maybe $150 million isn't that much, but that's still a reasonable sales activity. So I think things are going in a positive direction. Somehow, if we could accelerate things, Obviously, one of the issues is the regulatory issue. FDA, on the one hand, is supposed to sort of balance protecting patients and at the same time making new technologies available, but 
understandably, they always err on the side of protecting patients. So some of these things take a lot longer in terms of actually doing that definitive phase three clinical trial that's ultimately going to get you to the market. So on average, what's the time from concept of a new innovative idea to clinical availability? 12, 15 years. And I've heard the cost is tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. Exactly. You mentioned earlier about some different approaches to tissue engineering in terms of SIS or biologically derived scaffolds versus BMP approaches. Is there any preference in terms of which way one goes for these types of applications? I think it really depends very much on the particular therapy, the particular tissue and organ. And for example, if you talk about the world of stem cells, I think for some applications we will need human embryonic stem cells to derive the cells that are needed. For other applications, we might be able to use adult stem cells, and then there'll be applications which will be acellular, maybe an acellular implant, but then attracting endogenous cells to create the cellularized approach. So it's highly dependent on the tissue and organ and on the exact approach and therapy being developed. So relative to our previous dialogue about 20 or 30 therapies now available through tissue engineering, my impression is that the vast majority of those are acellular. Is that correct? Yes, in terms of what's available now. There's a lot of cell-based approaches in the pipeline. So Dr. Neerum, I know you have an interest and some involvement in terms of the concept of three-dimensional tissue engineering as contrasted to what we've talked about to this point, which is essentially 2D tissue engineering. Where do you see the field of three-dimensional tissue engineering going? I'm not sure I would draw the difference the same way you have because I would say these skin substitutes are also 3D. I think what will be different is that many of the new approaches may not only be 3D but be multicellular, different cell types as opposed to a single cell type. And I think one of the critical issues is if, for example, you're using a stem cell in a therapy, do you need a partner cell in order to optimize the effectiveness of the treatment? So there are issues about the cells to be used. What's the source? Are we using stem cells? Are we using progenitor cells? Are we using fully differentiated cells? And then in terms of the the matrix, Certainly, I've become a believer in the use of a more biologic matrix, however it is derived. I personally uh, don't see a major role for polymeric scaffolds, except possibly as an initial scaffold that will degrade away and be replaced by a more biologic scaffold. So one of the subjects in terms of three-dimensional tissue engineering is this idea of whole organ tissue engineering. Is that feasible? I think it will be feasible in some cases, potentially all cases, but then there will be competing approaches. For example, if we take the heart, is the winner going to be heart that's fabricated out of the body and implanted just as you would with heart transplantation, or is the winner going to be an approach that encourages, induces repair and regeneration? 
So far, the clinical studies that have been done putting cells into the myocardium to repair the heart have not yielded any great results, certainly not anything you'd want to write home to your mother about. But that doesn't mean that there will be a refinement. We really need to understand what are the signals, what are the cues that need to be delivered at the right place at the right time. What is the right place to deliver them? What is the right time to deliver them? And I think we can learn a lot from developmental biology. Granted, the developmental process that takes place with the embryo takes a lot longer than any therapy that we would want to provide to a patient. But I think we can learn a lot about what the signals are. What are the cues? And it all comes down to the microenvironment of the cells. And that microenvironment includes soluble molecules, it includes extracellular matrix, substrate, it includes physical forces, the mechanical environment for some tissues and organs, includes cell-cell contact. So we just need to understand better how to, as I call it when I talk to my students, orchestrate that symphony of signals that's going to produce the outcome that we want for a given therapy. And it will be a symphony of signals. For all the research that's been done looking at the effect of a particular growth factor or a particular cytokine of whatever type, what happens in the body is due to multiple signals acting, in many cases, in synergy. And we really need to understand this symphony of signals and how to orchestrate it. I guess in a more simplistic sense, even the quote, two-dimensional scaffolds certainly rely on a symphony of signals to do what they do. And so this is just a more complex application. Well, it's more complex, and even in some cases where we might think we are involving a symphony of signals, it may not be the whole symphony. We really need to learn much more about how these different, I'll call it instruments, that make up the symphony of signals interact, work together. So there's a lot of basic science that needs to be done at the same time that we're trying to translate this into benefits to patients. Dr. Neerum, we appreciate you sharing your vision and your insight in terms of this whole field of tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. We thank you and congratulate you for the contributions that you've made to this field. And as we conclude this podcast, I'd like to say thanks to the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. Remind our listeners you can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And we look forward to another exciting interview in two weeks. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.